0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me first to the book of Luke, Luke, if you will, the 23rd chapter of Luke's gospel, and we'll read verse number 33, Luke chapter 23, and we're reading one verse, verse number 33. As I said this morning, I want to talk to you tonight on this thought, the day millions, the day millions were crucified. You say, I never read that in a history book. Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, did not record it. And yet again, that is the truth according to the Word of God. Literally millions were crucified on one particular day. Here in Luke 23 at verse 33, we read Luke's account at this verse of the crucifixion of our Lord. And the verse reads, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Well, you say, preacher, I don't see where you get millions crucified on that particular day. And yet though Luke names only three in this verse. I want you to understand from the remainder of the word of God we have given us the truth that literally teeming millions were crucified at the very same time the Lord Jesus was crucified. If you will turn with me to uh, two other passages in the scripture to the book of Galatians and I think you'll quickly discover this marvelous truth that the Bible is so filled with. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, many of you can quote this verse, and it goes like this. Paul says, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I am crucified, notice, with Christ. And then one other passage uh, before we think a little deeper, in Romans chapter 6 at verse number 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Again, the Word of God is revealing the same identical truth of millions who were crucified on the very same day that our Lord was crucified. Romans chapter six, verse four and five reads like this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism, notice, with him by baptism into death, "...that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together, planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection." Again, Paul said, as you have read with me in that passage of Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, though our English translation is accurate, yet by reason of our not being able to detect tenses and so forth, we do not get in Paul's statement in our English translation the exact uh, emphasis uh, and the thrust and the power behind what he said. Now, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, we understand by that that Paul is saying that crucifixion has already taken place. Yet, let me call your attention to this one fact. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek language, uh, the rendering there is more emphatic and indeed uh, Uh, is uh, in its its final emphasis. The word, the verb here, am, is in what is known as the perfect tense. The perfect tense. Now in English, we just simply say that's present tense. But in the original language, uh, it is in the perfect tense, which speaks of, and get this, which speaks of a past completed action that has present, finished results. Past action, finished action, that has present, finished results. And so what Paul is saying is simply this, in the perfect tense, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, it is a thing that has taken place. You see, Paul now was many years beyond the time when our Lord was crucified physically. But yet Paul says, I have been crucified with him. I was crucified when Jesus was crucified. Now, believing that Paul indeed speaks under divine inspiration, not only for himself, but for all of us who believe, I believe that you can see where I'm coming from when I say that on the day the Lord Jesus was crucified, literally millions were crucified at that very same time. I've called your attention to the little word with as we've read a few of these, a couple of these verses. And the word with indicates a fellowship. It indicates an identification with or it indicates a partnership with. Uh, So Paul is saying, I have had an identification with Christ when he was crucified. I too was crucified. So being thus crucified with Christ, Paul, uh, with Christ, that meant death to Paul. Paul experienced a death, and primarily a death to self. A death to the old nature, a death to the old man that took place at the very time of the crucifixion of our Lord. So when our Lord was crucified, God looking down upon that, according to the scripture, sees all who would believe in him already crucified. He was dying my death for me. He took my sin upon himself. He suffered my guilt himself. And the scripture bears out in another place that Christ died for our sins. And so there he hangs on the cross. And yet in the eyes of God and in the mind of God, I, as well as you who believe on him, have already experienced crucifixion. You say, when were you crucified? 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, and yet beyond that, in the mind of God, back into the eternities beyond. But so Paul talks of this co-identity that is yours and mine as a child of God. Now I want you to pray while I'm preaching in your heart that the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Uh, He alone can really make this thing come alive and true to your heart and help you to come to an experience of it. As a result of what Paul recognized that he was crucified with Christ, he could cry out and shout aloud the words of Romans 8 and verse 1 as you hear him saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Now why could he say that? For the simple reason I was crucified with Christ. Christ bore my sins upon his own body on the tree. He suffered the just judgment that all sin deserves and thus he did it in my place, in my stead and therefore Paul could say, because of this, therefore there is now no condemnation, not now, not ever will be, there is no condemnation for those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There never will be, why? Simply because Jesus Christ bore your condemnation himself. He bore your judgment himself. Therefore, we will never come into condemnation. Those who believe on the precious Lord Jesus. And when I think of that, I think of the marvel of it. I think of the mystery of it. I think of the wonder of it and the glory of these two simple words that are found throughout the writings of the epistles in him, in him, in him. The marvelous book of Ephesians is replete with that phrase, oh, that statement over and over again. It is in him. Paul said, you remember this in, in Ephesians what is chapter 1 and uh, verse number 6, that we are accepted where? In him, in him. Now you say, how do you get in him? The Bible says that those who believed, as he wrote to the Corinthian believers, he said you have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. It is by the operation of the Holy Spirit, by the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. The moment I believe on the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit miraculously, supernaturally immerses me, if you please, places me into Christ. And therefore, when God looks upon me, he does not see me. He sees the perfect son of God. That's enough to make a Lutheran shout, much less an independent Baptist. We ought to be climbing the wall right now if we really believe that. So what I want you to understand is that it is in him. You see, it is in him that we are justified. It is in him that we are sanctified. It is in him that we are glorified. Outside of him, there is no hope for us. Outside of him, there can be no justification. That is, God cannot declare us righteous. Outside of him, there can be no sanctification or or holiness of life. There can be no glorification, which is yet ultimate. And in the future, when we are made likened to the Son of God himself. Now, the the realities of, of what I've just talked about, justification, sanctification, glorification, The realities of these things literally were in the mind of God from the very beginning. They're in the mind and the purpose of God from eternity. And they tell us of our position in the sight of God. You remember the first question God asked man? Where are you? Where are you? You see, your position in relation to him is vitally important. And so here our position is revealed of being one in Christ. And being in him, we're justified. We are made holy. We have the promise of glorification. But as far as God is concerned, it's already done. In other words, we may have to think up something to do and then we have to do it, but not God. As far as God is concerned, and we might do it, we may not do it. We may try to do it and bumble a job and mess things up and foul things up. But you see, as in the mind and the purpose of God, all of these things are as good as already done. And indeed, we are justified. We are sanctified and we will be indeed glorified. Now, the same truths as far as you and I are concerned on a human level The position that is ours in Christ. God would have us to experience that on a personal level practically. So the two words I want you to remember, position and practical. Positionally, I am already glorified. God is saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's already done. But from the practical standpoint, do you follow me? That has not yet yet been my personal experience in life. It will be someday, as John says, when we shall see him, we shall be like him. I think what I'm trying to explain to you might be better seen if you'd look to Romans chapter 8, just a second, and look down at verse number 30. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30. Watch what he says here. Now this is, I mean, this is strong meat. So you better get your teeth all glued in if you're going to hang on to this one. Look at verse 30. Paul says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now look back at that verse. Notice the past tense. Those whom the Lord predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified, past tense. And whom he justified, past tense. Them he also glorified, past tense. Now, is that really taking place, that glorification? No, but in the mind and the purpose of God, it is as good as already done. I like to think of it as this, I'm as good as in heaven already. There's nothing demon, devil, world, flesh, you, anybody else can do that'll defeat that divine purpose of God. And so the Lord has destined us for that very place and for the likeness of the Son of God. Now, though these things are ours positionally, for them to become ours in a practical sense, that which God has made possible for us by our position must be appropriated by faith. They must be appropriated by faith. Now, think of this. In Ephesians, Paul talks about that he has made us sit together with Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Literally, in the heavenlies. Now, where are you? Well, you say, I'm right here. Yeah, bodily you are, but as far as God's concerned, you're seated at the right hand of Father. That's good as being in heaven already, isn't it? In other words, we're seated with him in the heavenlies. So God's purpose, if it has become ours practically, must be done so, it is brought into reality through faith. Justification, for example. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now you see, it's like this. When a fellow comes to get saved, he wants to be saved. He, he, he wants the Lord's salvation. Now the Lord doesn't have to run off here and work up salvation and die again on the cross. No, salvation's already there. All the sinner has to do is come in repentance and faith and claim that that God has already provided. And the same is true when it comes to the victory of the child of God over sin in his life. The Lord has already given that to us, but we claim it by faith. So we appropriate by faith. I like the way Rome, or Hebrews 11.1 one states, uh, states a word about faith. Hebrews 11.1, one, you remember, says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. You get that? Now, let me just read it to you a little clearer. Now, faith is the substance. Dr. J.N. Darby says, the word substance is also the word substantiating or the materializing. Faith then, read it like this. Now, faith is the materializing Now, faith is the substantiating of things hoped for. Many of us, I think practically everybody in the church, uh, had had been for years in prayer for JC Nations. And as you prayed in faith, you were saying, Lord, reach his heart, Uh, bring things to bear, to bring him to Christ. Now, the Lord heard that. But yet, you see, the whole story is it is faith that brings about the materializing of the thing that we hope for. Am I, making, am, I, am I making sense? Not yet like that, huh? Some of you done walled your eyes and opened your mouth. I want you to hang in there now. All right, I want to help you if I can. All right, so Paul is saying these things come to pass in this way. Now, in Romans 6, verse 11 where Paul's talking about this same matter of our being crucified, of our being dead with Christ, of our death with him, Paul says something a little differently, but he's saying the same thing as I'm talking about faith and the appropriating of that that God's provided. Look at Romans 6, verse 11, and you'll find the scripture saying, hear this. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves To be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the word reckon is similar to our word faith. It is an accountant's term, a bookkeeper's term. For example, many people do not, many Christian people, have, it has never dawned on them. They have never discovered in their true heart that God has already provided every means you'll ever need to be a victorious, conquering child of God. We don't realize that. And so we're going along here, worried, struggling, striving, fretting, and uh, not enjoying the victory that's ours. It's like this. What if, uh, uh what if, uh, uh, what if I had a business and, uh, uh, the pay, uh, payday came and my accountant came to me and said, now look, uh, preacher, uh, our, uh, our payroll this week is $20,000 and we only have $5,000 in the bank. Now that is a, that is something to make you fret, I guess. And I'd say to him, okay, I'll tell you what do you've got the checks written out. Yes, sir. Hold those checks till you hear from me. I go down to the bank and I borrow $30,000. I put the $30,000 in my account. I pick up the phone, call my account and say, listen, distribute those checks. They are covered. They are fully covered. You don't have to worry. And so I hang the phone up. My counter hangs up the phone and he sits there biting his fingernails and says, I don't see it. Uh, the, the, I, Brother World called me and told me that he's got, uh, they've got sufficient money and everything's taken care of. You see, that fellow's going to bite his fingers down to the nub if he does not reckon on the fact of what I've just told him. And many a child of God doing the same thing. Goes through life biting his fingernails, biting his toenails if he could get to them spiritually. He is in a mess. Why? For the simple reason he does not believe what God said. Will you say, I don't feel like my old man is dead. Your feelings ain't got a thing in the world to do with it. God said it and that settles it. As far as God is concerned, that old man has been crucified with Christ. Uh, we say my old nature sure don't act like it. Kind of reminded me of two Irishmen, Mike and what's another Irish name? Pat. Yeah, Pat. And uh, <laughs> Mike and Pat, and they were walking by an old farmer's uh, house, and the farmer had a, had called him a chicken. And boy, he got that chicken up, folded them wings back around the feet and stuck that old gal down there on the chopping block, stretched her neck out and whacked her head off and pitched her out there. And that chicken just kept doing the dance, you know, kicking up heels and flopping and flipping. And Mike said to Pat, Pat, is that chicken dead? Why, he said, yeah. He said he just don't know it yet. The whole story is that's the case of many of us. Already this old man is crucified. It is an act of faith. It is by the same principle that you receive Christ as your Savior. You do not accept that on the basis of feeling. If you do, you're likely to be deceived. You're likely to be led astray. But we must base what God said, just simply taking God at his word. God saying, I put it all in the bank. It'll be taken care of. It's already taken care of, and you can act upon it. That's what the word reckon here means. So Paul said, likewise, reckon ye yourselves, count on the fact, yourselves, to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this crucifixion death has to do not with sins, but with sin. From Romans chapter 5 down through, uh, let me say, through chapter, uh, from Romans 5, verse 12, down through chapter 8 and verse 39, the word S-I-N-S, sins, occurs only once. But the word S-I-N singular and the word sinned occurs some 47 times. So what Paul is undoubtedly dealing with is not the outward expression of sins, but he's dealing with a sin principle that is within every one of us. He's dealing with an old, depraved, Adamic nature. He is dealing with what we were before we came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. So Paul is talking about a death to that old man. Now, here's another hitch. Over in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 and somewhere about verse 30 or verse 31, Paul made this statement, I die daily. Now, what he's saying as far as I can discern is this, that this crucifixion death has to do with the sin principle and self and it is an ongoing, day-by-day experience. It is a saying no and we have been given the ability to say no to the old nature because the old self, the old man, has been 2,000 years ago crucified with our Lord Jesus. Paul said, I die daily. Now, we take that attitude of death Death to sin, alive unto God. Now the question is this. What is what is the practical result in your life and mine as a believer? What is that practical result of this crucifixion death? This co-identity with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Let me just give you one or two things very briefly. The old life Or the self-life is rendered inoperative as a result of our co-crucifixion with Christ. Now, Paul wrote in Romans 6, look at verse 6. Romans 6 and verse 6. He says this. Knowing this, that our old man is, that is, has been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The word destroyed throws a lot of folks off. We get the idea that it means it is annihilated, eradicated, done away with. But the word I've used at the beginning of this particular point is the word that this word destroyed means. It is rendered inoperative. It cannot, without your consent and mine, have any sway or control over our lives. Look at verse 12 of this same chapter 6. Romans 6 verse 12. Notice Paul's appeal and he says this. Let not. That's indicative of a choice. Let not. Now he's saying you don't have to have this thing of sin reigning over you, so let it, don't let it. Let not sin, therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? What does it refer to? It refers to this death, this co-crucifixion that is ours with Christ. Let not sin, therefore, reign, that is, exert kingly authority, be the monarch in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So, at the moment of crucifixion, our Lord himself was rendered inoperative. Prior to his crucifixion, our Lord Jesus in the flesh trod the dusty highways and roads of of the ancient land, Our Lord went to Gadara, you recall, to to free the demoniac. He traveled to Nazareth. He often went to Jerusalem, and there, not only doing so, but he was very active in teaching, in preaching, in healing those who were sick and afflicted. But the moment the nails were driven in his hand, He became, from the human standpoint, transfixed on that cross, he became inoperative. That is, his earthly ministry was terminated, thus made inoperative. I'm talking about his earthly ministry. That was it. Our Lord Jesus, again, never walked the shores as he did previously. Oh, he fellowshiped with his disciples 40 days, but in a new manner, in a resurrected body. This terminated, as it were, the old manner of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that brings me to say this. The moment you and I recognize and take our place by faith on the cross, you no longer can do the things you formerly did. Jesus did not. And when we come into that practical experience of crucifixion of self, you'll find that there are things that once you were involved in, ambitions that were once yours, activities that were once yours, have become drastically changed and altered. So it renders one inoperative. That's a result of this crucifixion. Then as we appropriate by faith that position of death with Christ on the cross... We no longer satisfy or can satisfy the cravings of our old self. In Galatians 5, 24, Paul said this, And they that are Christ's have crucified, past tense, the flesh with the affections and lusts, with the affections and the desires, Paul said, "If you 're his, you have already been crucified, and one who is crucified is unable to fulfill and cannot fulfill those natural cravings of the old self. Galatians five and verse 16 indeed reveals to us how how uh, how this very uh, thing moves, from, moves us from the positional to the practical. And Paul said in Galatians 5:16 this he said, This I say then." Walk in the Spirit and you shall not, what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here's the way the positional becomes practical. We walk by faith. That's the way we're to walk. We walk by grace, by faith. And so so Paul is saying simply this, that as we appropriate that position, the cravings of that old nature have been nailed to the cross. And I again hear Paul saying back in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 2, how shall we, he said, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? When our Lord, for example, traveled this earth, when he was hungry, he ate. When he was thirsty, he found water and he drank. But when nailed to the cross, hungry, thirsty, and even he cried, I thirst. But they gave him sour wine and vinegar to to his lips. He refused it. The whole story is the natural cravings to that born again believer who has taken by faith His position on the cross no longer seeks the satisfying of those natural cravings. Now I'm not talking about such things as eating pinto beans and cornbread and and uh, turnip greens and that kind of stuff. I'm going to talk about that naturally. I'm talking about the old cravings of the old nature that are contrary to the will and the Word of God. Let me say something else about crucifixion. Crucifixion is painful. One of the most painful ways for any victim to die was by crucifixion. He hung there in open shame, naked. Flies and... Insects swarming and lighting on the victim as blood oozed from their uh, different parts. And in the case of Jesus, the crown of thorns upon his head, the victim hung there until literally the joints of his skeleton were literally pulled out of socket. A very painful, painful kind of way to die. And I've said that to say this, that old self doesn't die easily. Oh, I tell you, there is oftentimes the pain that we feel when we begin to take our position with Christ on that cross. And then again, when we take that position by faith uh, on the cross, uh, we become insensible to the indignities of life. When we have died to self, we become insensible to those indignities. Listen to what Jesus said. And it's almost an impossible thing to do. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, listen to this. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Now, can you imagine being happy in this circumstance? Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's almost an impossible thing for a fellow to do it. And I guarantee it is, unless he's on the cross. Unless you have died to self, instead of you being happy when people speak evil against you falsely and persecute you and revile you, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to be in the awfulest pain that you've ever experienced in your life. But here, the man who has experienced that death to self, he becomes insensitive to the indignities of life. Paul would describe it like this when he said, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Now you know what the natural thing to do if your enemy is hungry? Tell him to go jump in the lake. If he's thirsty, tell him to go dig his own well. But how different it is when self has, been, has taken its place on the cross, nailed to the cross, those things that might have been indignant to us, we become, become insensitive to what the world may do. The scripture even admonishes us to pray for them which despitefully use you. Now I want to tell you this, the only way, are you listening? The only way you can follow through with those instructions is to experience a practical death to self, to the old nature, to the old self-life, to the flesh. Only way in the world. Now, a dead man is insensitive, is he not? You can cuss him. You can kick him. You can stick your tongue out at him. You can ignore him. You can lie about him. You can do anything you want to, but he's insensitive. He is in a position of death. Now that's indeed what our Lord would have us in this world experience. And we can because already it's ours positionally. And now by faith, we need to take our position on the cross. I pray the Holy Spirit will make that real to us. Another effect of dying or being co-identified with Christ in his death is that it brings about an emancipation from deficiencies in our life. A freedom, a liberation, an emancipation from the deficiencies of life. Now, as long as our Lord Jesus, our Savior, was in His body of humiliation, His deity was veiled within that humanity. And as a result, He did not manifest to the fullest extent His divine and His marvelous power. But after the resurrection, which followed His crucifixion, He enters into a new kind of life. As a result, He was able and did do many things that He never did before His crucifixion and resurrection. So it is with the child of God. There are many things that we're deficient in now. And the reason perhaps we are, we haven't taken our place of death on the cross. And as a result, and let me tell you this, you'll never experience resurrection victorious life until you've experienced the cross. And there are a lot of us want that victorious side, but we don't want the cross. Uh, we want the crown, but we don't want the cross. But it doesn't come any other way. Death to self, and so uh, thus, when you and I are dead with Christ, indeed, just as in the case of our Lord, there comes into our experience some liberties that we never previously experienced. The Lord begins to deal with our temper, our violent, uncontrollable temper. you know if a person were dead to self, you wouldn't have any trouble with violent self-centered anger, sure indication when Self is punched, you know, and begins to writhe and be angry. Uh, I'm not talking about righteous indignation. That's controllable. I'm talking about uncontrolled temper. And yet the Lord begins to deal with that. Not only that, but He begins to deal with illicit lusts. Desires that are, uh, that are illicit or out of the way of the will of God as revealed the Word of God. He begins to deal with our jealous emotions. These things you see are there, and they wouldn't be, they, we wouldn't be bothered we wouldn't be overcome by them if we're dead. who ever heard of a dead person having a temper fit? Who ever heard of a dead person having illicit lust Who ever heard of a dead person having jealous emotions or expressing ugly rebellion or suspicions of others that read into the lives of others what's not there so these things are self and yet by reason of our crucifixion with Christ, if we'll take that position by faith, it can become ours in a practical way. And then I've got to close with this. When one, is, when one dies, when our Lord Jesus, for example, hung on that cross and he crucified him, our Lord cried, you remember these words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the moment he died, get this, the moment he died, he was perfectly relaxed. A death to self will bring a relaxation from tension. The only reason most of us get uptight is because of self. Now, only the God's Spirit can open your eyes to see that in your own life. Sometimes we go along here for days, months, years, and all of a sudden something comes about and bang, the Holy Spirit said, there's what I've been trying to get you to see all the while that lack of being nailed to the cross, that lack of being crucified. At funeral times, you often hear people say as they look in the face of a loved one who's departed, he is at perfect rest. Oh, the tenseness, the lack of rest, the absence of peace that prevails in the life of so many of us as children of God. But I want to say this, as a child of God, You and I will never know that kind of peace and rest until you come to the place in your life and in your heart that you're willing to die to yourself and die to the world. And doing so, the Lord gives us freedom from worry. He gives us freedom from fear. He gives us freedom from dread, death to self, and alive unto God. To die to self, placed in simpler terms, is to resign oneself to the perfect will of God. To say, Lord, no longer what I want, no longer what I crave, no longer, Lord, what I plan, but I come to you, Lord, and I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to die to my desires. I'm willing to die to my flesh to everything that I want, to everything that I crave. I want to die to all of that. Now when you come really and truly in reality to that place in your heart, you're going to find the greatest peace and rest that you've ever known in your life. This matter of dying is a daily experience. And yet again, there's in the life of many of us that initial moment when the Lord begun to deal with us and say, "I want you to surrender your life." I never will forget. Not very long after I was saved, I had a very great struggle, uh, trying to uh, uh, trying to convince folks that what had happened in my life. And some begin to say, "Why you just you know you're tired and you're wore out and you're you're about on the age of a nervous breakdown, all this kind of stuff." And uh, so it began to cast some reflection on my on my sanity and my emotional stability. And uh, old self wasn't dead. I didn't like that, Brother Connie. I, that that kind of hit me under the belt. And so I began to back off, and I refused to tell people. And I said, well, maybe all that happened to me, I just rededicated my life to the Lord. I knew better than that. I, I rededicated my life to the Lord. I got saved. didn't have anything to dedicate, much less rededicate. And so, uh, uh, knowing that in my heart, I struggled along for several months. I was pastoring at that time, Old Zebulun Baptist Church. Brother Roy here, uh, knows that, and used to come out to Zebulun. Had some great times there. Old Zebulun Church in Dakota, past that, 18 years old. Oldest church in that whole country over there. And uh, I begun to think, well, uh, Lord, if uh, the folks here in the church think I'm emotionally unstable and I'm kind of cracking up, uh, I'll lose this wonderful Position that uh, that I have here is the pastor of this church. fine church, run three hundred and something in Sunday school in those days, and yet I, in my heart, I just I just wanted to let everybody know what had happened in my heart. So yet I kept on ordering my life, doing what I wanted to do, had my own plans, what I was going to do, so forth. And uh, I, the, one of the things the devil hit me with is this: said, now if you if if you go ahead with this thing you've started out with. You're going to lose all that money that church has given you. They paid me $50 a week. And, <laughs> and uh, so, I, boy, I mean, that is a real dealing. But anyway, uh, uh, there came a night when I was over in Liberty, South Carolina. We were in a tent revival Liberty. And folks were just coming in from everywhere. And folks were being saved. You're over near Liberty, Mike. And that old tent set over there behind, uh, I've forgotten the name of that church. Do you? Anyway. It makes a little difference. So, uh, Calumet Baptist in uh, Liberty, Calumet Baptist Church, was from that tent revival. And so I was leading the singing, and Dr. Uh, Percy Ray, who's gone on to be of the Lord now, was the preacher. And uh, we'd gone several nights in the meeting. The Lord just, boy, brother Bill, just work on my heart and squeeze my heart. And I'd stand and lead the invitation to him and we'd sing I Surrender All and we'd sing Just As I Am and folks would come down fall in them old shavings and crying their hearts out, getting right with God. And uh, the Lord kept saying to me, you need a friend of your life, son. You need to turn loose your own plans. You know, uh, you're not where you ought to be. And so I kept struggling with that, and the devil bring all these things back. Oh, look what you're going to lose. Look at, what you, look at all this. And uh, finally, the Holy Spirit won out. Praise God. I'm glad he won out. And I just laid my songbook down and walked down and fell down in the altar and just knelt there. I poured my heart out to God, and the best I knew how, in that very moment, was the beginning of a surrendered life, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, there have been days since I must constantly die daily and make a fresh commitment of that surrender. But that was it, and I've never gotten away from it. But I says, kneel at that altar. Uh, I was not aware the evangelist was nearby, but he had come over and slipped over and knelt down by me. And uh, after a few moments, I lifted up my head, and I looked at him, and he said, "Uh, You got it all settled, have you, son? And I said, I sure have, doc. Well, he said, I'm so glad you've settled it. I knew you're struggling with something. And as we knelt there at that altar, the old shavings all around us, I watched him and he just raked out a little hole with his hands, kind of fixed up. Looked just like a little miniature grave. He reached over and picked up a gladiola out of the beautiful arrangement of flowers somebody brought, and he laid that down in that little trench. And took his hands and just covered up that little flower with the shavings. And then when he did that, he set this little New Testament up at the head. And I call that my tombstone. On the inside, he wrote a simple little message. And the message reads like this. This is my tombstone. Presented on night of decision as a constant reminder that God must be first and last and have all or none. July 15th, 1953. Old self lies buried. All that dirty rascals tried to dig out a lot of times. But it is through the promise of his word appropriated by faith that you and I can maintain that place of self being on the cross. If you want to have victory, if you want to have peace, if you want to know fulfillment of purpose in your life as a Christian, it'll only come when you take your position of death to self on the cross. Let's pray together. Dear Father... My words can never convey to the life, to the mind, to the experience, especially the experience of any of our people, this truth. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we have learned these things, and Paul said that is one of the steps, knowing this. May we realize what you have done for us and what's happened to us. And may we, by thy spirit, live in that position that's ours of death to self. Many of us have been convinced by the devil and by self that we're just going to have to struggle along through life. No need for us to bother anymore about it. We've fought and struggled. But say, you don't get this by fighting and struggling. It's by simple faith. Just like when you got saved, you just look up and say, Lord, you said it and I believe it. You said I've been crucified with you, and I by faith accept that. And This old nature of mine cannot hold kingly authority, cannot reign in my mortal body. May, Lord, you let us help us to let you deal with the known things in our life. May we see ourselves, and may we find ourselves in, by faith hanging there on that cross, the old man, and yet, Lord, may we see ourselves as well, not only having been crucified with him, but also raised with him to live that resurrection life of liberty and freedom and victory. Have your way now. And speak to all of us for Jesus' sake. Heads are bowed. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed. And I want us as we sing old familiar song. I hope it'll mean more to you tonight than it ever has. All A-double-L. Let me ask you something. Is there anything, I mean anything, anybody, is there anything that you feel a reluctance to surrender and give to our Lord? Is it a place, a position? Is it a person? Are you willing to say, Lord, I surrender it. I yield. I die to self. As we sing, God speaking to your heart, if you feel the need to come and bow at this altar, you feel free to do it. If you're here tonight and you're unsaved, you need to trust Christ, come and give me your hand. Maybe you're used to unite with our church. Promise of letter, by statement, for baptism, however. I'm going to ask you to come. While we sing on the first stanza, come quickly. Make that move for God. You'll never regret it. Let's sing it.